we talked a lot about this easy button. If you're on our software, could we take your information, share it with lender and make it much more seamless? Even in that, even if we were to do that, we realize the client still wants to talk to someone because it's a big decision. They're not going to convert on that. Just let me press the easy button. That changed how we built our product. Even if we had built it, we would have very low conversion. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Rohit Agarwal, all the way from San Francisco, buddy. How you doing, man? Good morning to you out there. We're, we're recording this early on your time. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm great. I'm great, Matt. Yeah, it is early. About 8 a.m. right now, but excited to, to be here and excited to chat with you. I mean, your day, you've already probably had a full day with a four-year-old and a two-year-old. You've already had a full day. So this is kind of lunchtime for you, you know, at 8 a.m. that way. 100%, man. Our two-year-old keeps waking up at 6 a.m. Relentless, yeah. no matter what time yeah. we put her to bed. But the, uh, <laughs> yeah, just got the four-year-old to, to preschool early. And got into the office and excited to be to be chatting. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, I can respect the early mornings and the four-year-old and an eighteen-month on my side. I I can respect that, but yeah. and we could talk about invent all our, all we want about our kids. I mean, that could be yeah. uh, that could be a whole long episode itself. But I, I'm really mm-hmm. stoked about talking about your journey with Sora and talking about fintech and kind mm-hmm. of some of the developments that are happening in wealth management because you know I've I followed y'all with what you're doing at Sora and I think it's it's super interesting. It's it's a needed a needed tool and and we're going to get to that and that journey that you've gone on and kind of where you see fintech into the future but but before sure. we get there running Sora Finance and you know building a technology company within wealth management and financial services I'm always curious, like, was, yeah. did you have this in mind? I always like to ask people, like, what yeah. did the 13 year old Rohit <laughs> want to be? Was it like, I want to run Sora Finance. That's what I want to do. Yeah, and I'm yeah, going to yeah. serve financial advisors. What, what did the 13 year old Rohit want? Yeah, be? it's a great question. Well, 13 year old wanted to be a professional soccer player, but that, uh, that obviously didn't pan out. But that if you would ask me, if you look at, I guess what you put down there, you know, I, I think since I'm at 13, my, my parents are, are both dentists and, you know, my sister physician. So there's always been a heavy kind of medical belt, I say, in our family. But I've always been been fascinated. The thing I always liked watching my dad was he was kind of a small business owner and his own boss. And I saw that kind of him running his dental practice. And I was always more into kind of tell me more about how are you thinking about getting more patients? You know, how are you thinking about how are you serving your existing patients? You know, what about if you're thinking about expanding your real estate or you want to open a second practice? And I don't know. That stuff always fascinated me. So I think from an early age, I was always really into to business in particular. And, and I think the, the whole getting into the startup world, that got probably moving, kind of got more, I'd say, accelerated living out here. You know, I met my wife in, in grad school in Chicago and I've been out here for about 10 years. And I think that really, really accelerated it. But uh yeah, I'd say 13-year-old was definitely more into sports and then always had a bit of business and always, you know, like anything, I think I also really was into politics and, and still am in, in that sense. But I do think you learn a lot on the leadership side trying to run your own business. Yeah, I think that that's incredible. And it's always funny to see how when we look back on our life, what kind of was some of those mm-hmm. impetuses to the journey that we we went on and that we where we are. And it's always exciting to see kind of where we're going to go. And you know, Sora Finance, I, I'm, I'm curious yeah. because you had a journey to get to Sora before you started yeah. it. And maybe tell us a little bit about that journey, but also tell us about that kind of that moment that it clicked. And, and sure. you said to yourself, I need to go start Sora and start my own business and, and, and solve this major problem. I'm always curious that moment that that happened. Yeah, yeah I think I've had a bit of a, a career that's had a bunch of different walks, you know, across. Uh, but I think the main theme through it 
has been trying to be relatively curious. So open to different, you know, switching sectors, switching, you know, switching where I work, switching job function, type of role, type of company, type of organization, but with a similar thing about wanting to feel like the work is driving impact. And I think trying to, you know, improve the human condition or improve the, the, you know, as many lives as possible has been a common theme through it. Instead of walking through the whole career, I'll talk about where the, the Sora moment really came. You know, it was like a combination of two things came together for me to get really excited about basically the problem of Americans, I think, get taken advantage of when it comes to tech. That was the, that was the problem that really bothered me. You know, you got 83, 84% of Americans have debt, and I think it's really opaque, it's complex, it's hard to understand. That was the thing that I kept seeing. And I, and I saw it across two fo- two pieces. You know, one, I first saw how I think people effectively use debt through my work when I was an investment banker at B of A or at McKinsey. It's consulting, so here's how companies and certain individuals more effectively use debt. But then I saw it on the flip side when I would keep in touch with my former students from Teach for America, who a lot of times were really struggling with debt. That kind of all came together when I was at Kiva. And, you know, something interesting at Kiva is we would do small business loans. So think about loans to, I, I, I led our, our U.S. lending program. And we would do loans to, say, if you want, you had a food truck and you want to get a second food truck. Uh, you own a barbershop and you want to get a second barbershop. These were loans up to $100,000. So anywhere from $5,000 to $100,000, uh, varying terms. One thing I kept seeing was how a lot of the people we wanted to underwrite, we would look at their debt to income and their business was actually doing okay, but it was the debt piece that was really out of whack because we were also looking at their individual debt because a lot of these required a personal guarantee. And so I kept seeing whether it was a high cost of debt on this mortgage, on this auto loan, certain student loans for someone who maybe went to college but didn't complete, uh, nowhere, but they were actually earning decent money. It just wasn't working. So I started getting deep down into there's got to be a better way to manage debt. And I think it was that aha moment at Kiva with thinking about it. I think, you know, getting connected with my co-founder, Siddhartha, and us just finding a lot of time, like, hey, is there something here? Coupled with the idea that we knew it was a big problem. We also just kind of were into, I think, uh, finance and personal finance. You know, we were a big fan, uh, big fan of Betterment. I had used it before. Now I use it. I have an RA, but uh, I think on the Betterment side, like, could we create this Betterment for debt? Where if someone's on our software, they feel comfortable, they're getting the, the best deal on any new piece of debt or existing. But it was really, I think all that came together, but it was probably the work at Kiva, which were where I le- that's where I left and start Sora, uh, is where I really had to say, we can, we can do this. Yeah, I was listening to one a podcast that you were on before, and, and I love the analogy you said, it's like the, it's the credit karma meets betterment in, in mm-hmm. terms of what y'all have built. I mm-hmm. think that that's such an interesting way of looking at it. I, I'm curious, you know, I, I wanna go down in the weeds for a second, yep. just to understand kind of the nuts and bolts. Like, so how does this work and yep. what is the experience like and, and how does it work on, on your side that differentiates y'all from, from some other competitors out there? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's kind of, you looked at our, our pitch deck and we raised funding. It was all about credit karma meets betterment. And I think that is what, what we do. You know, I think one interesting thing, and I'll, I'll get the nuts and bolts, is we, we started direct to consumer. So we thought, hey, we were going to be, you know, just how, you know, credit karma and betterment, credit karma has got 110 million users. And I don't know how many betterment has, but. Saying, hey, what if we go acquire users, get them on our software, and then save them money was the idea and talk through how we, how we do that. We actually uh, pivoted towards RAs in particular. And I think the, re- the reason was kind of twofold when we started pivoting last summer. And since then, we've been almost 100% focused on financial advisors. And we've built a product for financial advisors uh, and RAs to basically be their, their credit management solution or our debt optimization solution. Reason was we knew if an advisor suggests something, 
when we do the work of finding an opportunity either for a new loan or saving money, there was going to be pretty high conversion. That, you know, this is the most, you know, this is someone that a lot of people trust maybe more than their spouse, you know, and, and I think we, we spent a lot of time with advisors and, we you know, we're really impressed that they really put their client's best interest at heart. And it really solved that idea that I think with consumers, there's a lot of times a hard time to, to convert, you know, even if you find something to get them to take the action and see it through is why we kind of kind of liked advisors in particular. And then, and then we also really got excited about it being kind of a novel product, we thought, on the debt management side. Uh, but, you know, but, but how it works is we go to RAs and we say, hey, here's a tool that you're going to have. You're going to have three things if you sort it. Based through our, through our APIs and the way you onboard clients, we do it through either. There's two ways you can onboard clients. Either it's through you sharing certain PII with us that we then, or the client can go through it themselves. We prefer the you share information with us where the client's not involved just to get more, more throughput. But then for each client, you have a dashboard. You have a dashboard for all, with all your clients where you can see all of their liabilities. They're, all their liabilities outstanding, but even down to the detail given the APIs we use in terms of what is the rate, what is the term, what is the underlying asset if it's a home? We have all the details on the home. But basically, you have now aggregated a live look that is refreshed consistently into their debt uh, at a granular level. Second part you're getting now, now you have this kind of what we kind of call kind of onboarding and aggregating data. Second thing is we're running a bunch of analytics for you and insights. So you have exportable reports and insights that we're driving on your client's debt. So it could be something, hey, they have a 742 credit score. If we think, based on our understanding of FICO, if you do these three things over the next three months or six months, we think you can move that to 760. And that's what, if they want to take out an auto loan or a home loan, here's how much this means in terms of pricing, which we're seeing with all of our lenders on the back end. We run a bunch of, I'd say, insights and analytics, a lot of them around, hey, we think we notice you might have a higher cost of debt here. We think you could take a HELOC here, but it's all around ways that we can, I think, from a snapshot, try to save you money with analytics. And these are exportable reports that advisors are using as part of the planning process. The second thing what we're doing, I think, for advisors on the analytics side, though, is interesting is right now we're more of a snapshot as we're starting to get predictive. So we're starting to say now that we have a lot of users on our software saying, hey, you have a client that looks like this is a 32 year old or 34 year old physician. Here's what their life typically looks like. And here's how they should be thinking about debt and at which moments will they be having debt. And here's how kind of getting more predictive on their uh, Recycle kind of the, I like to say, kind of the Monte Carlo for debt assumption that advisors can then feed into their planning. Um, and then I think the third third big thing is we execute. So we are a licensed mortgage broker. We're also holistic. You know, we look at home, auto, student, personal, and lines of credit. And uh, we help kind of provide a white glove service to help execute loans if a client ever wants a new loan. And we kind of guarantee because of the breadth of lenders we're looking at that we're going to get you an incredibly competitive rate. And then we're really proactive if we ever think of refinancing opportunities. I, you know, I'd say the biggest differentiators to like Credit Karma, Lending Tree, and a lot of these rate aggregators out there is I think one, we truly have the client's best interest at hand. We're not beholden to certain lenders on the back end. And so, you know, if you and I went to Nerd Wallet or Credit Karma, we could have very different circumstances. It's almost certain they'd recommend us Quicken Loans because Quicken Loans is paying them the most money. And so we've proven out that compared to the rate aggregators, we get much better pricing. Two is uh, we help execute the loans. It's just not a handoff. We have someone on our team. We have loan officers. We make we provide kind of a white glove service, which I think is important to advisors to help execute different loans. And then I think uh, third is your clients aren't getting spammed incessantly. You know, they're not getting consistently called spam. This is all happening in the background with all of our lender partners. And I'd say that's probably the, the fourth thing is we, we look at the breadth of lenders across wholesale, retail, and credit unions. 
Yeah. So, and it seems just like a great complement to kind of financial planning software. It kind of delves into, you know, it's a, it's the depth from tax. You do tax planning, estate planning. Mm. This is debt planning. Is is really where 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 it sounds like it fits in. Now, I'm curious on that transition. Like, if we talk about the business yeah. side of it as opposed to the product side of it, is that y'all went yeah. B to C, which I'm assuming that the acquisition cost is. Yep. Maybe a little bit higher, I, I would assume, because I just know that that, that market is. And, and now you're going and selling to financial advisors, which you know is nice because you have them as the trusted resource. But the challenge I've always seen with, with advisors is, is yep. yet another tool, yet another yep. tool to learn, yet another you know, solution to explain to their yep. clients. So what have been some of those challenges that you faced as you made that transition from B2C to B2B and focusing on financial advisors? And how have you found success in overcoming yep. that? Uh, as you serve them? Yeah, that's such a good question. I, I wish we'd figure it out more because it's definitely a challenge. We, we wake up a lot, but I think you were right on the main, one of the other reasons I, I should have mentioned on why we moved D to C to B to B to C with advisors was the cost per acquisition. It was tough to make the, the LTV to CAC math work with, um, you know, just because our, our cost per acquisition, I think a lot of that is, as you know, driven by the changes that have happened at Google and, and Facebook or Meta in terms of your ability to, to acquire folks you're looking for. But I think on advisors, one thing we, we've learned is there's no, we've always thought like, hey, could we do a self-service onboarding? Like that's, I guess, the holy grail for B2B SaaS. Okay, you have someone that post-demo or even, you know, after demo, there's kind of a, a personalized, a self-service onboarding for the advisors. Here's how you get on the software. Here's how you learn about it with videos. Here's how you add clients. And then we were doing our magic. That is, we've realized we, we haven't accomplished that, to be transparent. Right now, we've learned with, I think a lot of it is a lot of conversations, a lot of explaining. And I think that is because they have so one thing I've realized with advisors is there's two big friction points we have with them. And I think it's one they have they have very little free time. Is that saying it's a and, and they have a lot because a lot of their days are disrupted by inbounds from clients. And so there a lot of times they might plan it. It's hard for them. I've seen there. I know they try to put planning calendars on, but a lot of times their days might get disrupted because, you know, clients are coming. In. And then two, the biggest thing is, is this a software that's not integrated into my planning software? Or into my CRM, you know, can we live if you're using right capital or e-money, or you know, can we live there? Because we think we're a much more robust solution than just self-reported debt. That's where we want to live. I think what we've done to try to get over it right now is say that's our plan. We want to get integrated over time, but right now we are a standalone software. We're trying to make it as easy as possible for you to add all your clients without involving the client, and we're willing to, to you know, be there at any minute's notice to help explain what's happening and how to use the software more powerful. One thing we've we've seen is, you know, advisors listen to other advisors. And so we've tried to leverage that a lot, explaining, hey, it's worth the friction and adding another tool. And the other thing we've seen is if an advisor adds a couple clients, we've, le we've learned kind of from demo where an advisor is like, great, set me up an account. If they add a couple clients in the next week or two, uh, they're very likely to add all their clients. And that's kind of been our focus area right now. What can we do after that demo to try to say, hey, within the next two weeks, can we get you to add a couple clients so then we can actually show our value on what we're doing with those clients. I, I think that that is such an interesting, I mean, that's a great, you know, the self-service model is something that's there is like, if I can play with it right away and see how yeah. it is right after I get the demo, then I'm more likely to engage. And then I see the value mm -hmm. because it's so quick that you can then go. And I think that that is kind of the Holy grail, as you mentioned, I, I'm also curious to kind of, if we switch away from, from Sora a little bit and, and yeah. look more as the, as kind of the, the FinTech ecosystem, I mean, you've been involved in this for a while. You've done yeah. a ton of research. You live in San Fran, like you now have been yeah. within wealth management for a while. 
I'm curious to your perspective of the future of fintech and wealth management, right? Given that there's so many options out there. And to your point, like advisors don't have time and we're always trying to figure out how to integrate together. When you look at it from the company standpoint, because you have to look at it from the future, but like from an industry standpoint, what does the future of fintech look like in wealth management? Because the amount of products and offerings aren't going to slow anytime soon. So I'm curious from your perspective. Yeah, it's a great question. So probably, I guess, three or four thoughts on it. I think one thing we feel very bullish on is that the, you know, I, we don't think the robo-advisors are going to take over the world. So the idea of like this betterment wealth front, which I think some people thought were going to take over the world, but we don't see that happening. If anything, we see a very, we like and feel confident that there is going to be this, you know, I think it's 18% year over year right now, but significant growth in the RIA segment. So we like in general, the market within wealth tech that we really focus on those 330, 350,000, uh, RAAs. And I think what we've learned is even millennials that might be more digitally native and are now, you know, I think going to have a massive wealth transfer start to vote are going to want a person to talk to about it. And so I think we feel really bullish on the growth of RAAs and we feel bullish on the fact that RAAs biggest, I think a lot of it is going to be that relationship building that they're building with the client where they really are their trusted advisor, not only on finance, but I think there is going to be this pressure on being comprehensive. So beyond like, hey, here's how I'm managing your assets, but what am I doing across to our earlier conversation, across tax planning, across uh, debt planning, across estate planning? I think there, there, there's going to be a, a big movement towards comprehensive financial planning. And that's where I think we feel good about technology coming in to solve that. Uh, technology, I think, is going to be not a replacement of any financial advisors, much more an augmentation. And I think, and much more of a, I'd say, dealing with tasks that are time consuming. So I think you've already seen a lot of it trying around whether it's compliance or around that. I think you're going to see a lot of it help automate and I think automate certain parts of the advisor's day, whether it's a proposal, et cetera. What I don't know on, on, on FinTech and WealthTech is can all these specialized companies exist? You know, to your point, because it is a lot selling to an RA that's got a lot going on or, you know, a wealth manager, or do they have to become a part of a bigger company? I do think people that integrate well are gonna gonna be in a better position from a specialized solution, and I do think that the venture market is tough right now. So I think you'll have a lot of good companies that will potentially, depending on their burn and depending where they are, not make it out to the to the other side. Yeah, I mean, I think that that point on I I, I want to pick on two things there that you said. I think that that last point that you said of integrate well it, that that's mm-hmm. going to be the key to it. But that's like a chicken and the egg challenge, right? Yeah. Because like some firms don't want to integrate because they want to be the everybody's trying to be the platform, and so they mm-hmm. don't they got it. They're trying to hold that data into themselves, which is which is going to be kind of a, a breaking point challenge that has to be resolved. But you know the the other point that I'm curious on because you're talking about robo advisors you know, not taking over the world, which I agree with 100%. Mm-hmm. But you're you're a proof in point to that, right? You were at Betterment and then decided to go to an RIA. And so yeah. I'm curious, what made you make that switch? Because I think that yeah. so many people don't don't tell those stories that there's yeah. eventually a point in life where you want a human to, to talk to. Honestly, I got more bullish on that when I had kids, the idea of having a human. I think it, uh, if I'm being completely honest, like where I felt in my, you know, I think with any entrepreneurial journey is that you, can look at all the data, but you also got to feel something in your, your gut to a degree. And I think we saw the data already, sure, on RAA growth and kind of the betterments and wealth fronts stagnating a bit. But I saw it, for, I felt it very personally when I had kids that I wanted. And that's what, you know, my, our family hired an RAA. 
And it was because of two reasons why I got really into wanting a human. Uh, one, it felt a lot more personal. How am I thinking about my kid's future? And do I want to, you know, talk to an expert on this? Uh, and I don't trust, you know, but then two, it just got more complicated. And, and so, you know, and it got, and I, it, that's probably, it got more complicated. I don't think money and finances, is a, that was a third, is a highly emotional thing. And, and I think it gets too complicated when you add complication and emotions. That's how I think you have a lot of Americans that make bad decisions on their finances. Like, I think it would be a wonderful thing if all, you know, every American had a, a trusted financial advisor at a certain point. I think we'd be in a much, much different spot. But that that's why we, we started going through RIAs. I think the other reason is our business model on the debt side. Transparently, we thought we could we, we taught, used to talk a lot about this easy button saying, hey, if I notice I'm, I have my home loan, when we started the company, 56% of mortgages were eligible to refinance. Obviously, that's now like 8 to 10% uh, given where rates have gone. So we're doing a lot more new home loans. We're doing a lot more HELOX. On the HELOX side, similar, we talked a lot about this easy button. If you're on our software, could we take your information, share it with lender, and make it much more seamless? Even in that, even if we were to do that, we realize the client still wants to talk to someone because it's a big decision. Mm-hmm. They're not going to convert on that, just let me press the easy button. And that was a bitter, that changed how we built our product. We now built in like you're going to, and I, I think because even if, if we, even if we had built it, we would have very low conversion. So I think those are probably Yeah, that's super, main that, that's super interesting. Like the life event idea is such a you know profound yeah. com- that we talk about, but we don't have enough stories to show it, but that's mm-hmm. just it, right? It gets complicated. It feels not like mm-hmm. I'm not doing the right thing for my kids. Now there's more people involved. And then mm-hmm. that idea about the debt side, that's a big life decision yeah. that, yeah. you know, it, it, you made it as easy as possible. Like literally just mm-hmm. click this button and you've got mm-hmm. better life like with your yeah. debt, with your debt. And they're like, Ugh, I need to talk to someone because exactly. that's just, you know, natural human instincts and emotion is, is there. And, you know, the, the other kind of big topic of conversation these days is generative AI and chat GPT yeah. and all that type of stuff. And, and you have some predictive nature in your product now that you have a lot of data and i'm sure it's going to get even more predictive and yeah. uh, there's probably a ton of opportunity to create more efficiencies internally about how you serve clients and, and with that yeah. self-service model and you know you're really close to it and yeah. I, i'm curious from your perspective like how how does generative ai fit into financial planner because a lot of people are worried about generative ai and i think that there's so much opportunity there yeah. you know from your perspective working with ai and data analytics mm-hmm. and everything of that nature where do you see generative AI fitting into helping this wealth management community and in, in the financial world yeah. going forward? Yeah, yeah, for sure. L- last thought on the previous topic, then I'll jump into to AI. Is that I, the other thing we really like is we want advisors to be a part of the mortgage experience for their clients, which is a big thing. And so that's where we're really focused on. Hey, if they're buying a new home, or you know, what do I do in my existing home in terms of a HELOC, or am I going to refinance? That's a big life moment. It was for us uh, when we bought our first house. And so I think that's another thing we're trying to get more into. Can you be, be a part of that? You know, on AI, I, I, I think it is the, the with wealth management in fintech, depending on where you are in fintech, are you more back office or I think there's a way to think about it. There's predictive AI and generative AI and then use case. I think with it, advisors and wealth managers, they have to be right. And so that puts a, I, I think it makes it harder with numbers and people's finances. If you're not using generative AI for fraud detection or something like that, it becomes more of a predictive AI bucket, I think, a lot of times for advisors versus generative because the amount generative AI can hallucinate. So I think the, the main use cases potentially for uh, RAs and wealth planners on the generative AI is potentially, I think, helping with proposal creation. 
I think it's a lot of stuff first drafting with proposal creation. I think it's a lot of stuff. Maybe it's first draft of a back and forth with a client. I think it's uh, in terms of what generative AI can do in their large language models. Uh, I think it's potentially, you know, you want to look at an earnings call and get the takeaways from, you know, what did Microsoft just report and have that ready to go if a client asks. So I think it's still the advisor having to understand how to do the prompts, but I think saving times. Where I think predictive AI, which has been around, I, I think that's going to be the more probably truer business case because there it's looking at previous data and feeling much more confident on the uh, outcome or, or the ability. And so I think that's where we're more focused right now on the predictive side from a software company than generative, although I, I wish we said generative because then our, our valuation would be much higher. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, is, it a one, is it a one or the other or can they both work together yeah. mm. from that standpoint? I mean, I mean, can't, can't predictive AI feed generative AI to create some of this, you know, interpretation of what the the predictions are. I mean, it, can they yeah. be together or do they have to be separate? And, and, yeah, and will point. they come together? Yeah, no, they can't be together. I, I think they're as long as a human is reviewing it before it goes to a client. If there's anything client facing, and I think as long as there is a clear bar that if you are chat, I mean, I think the main use case is ChatGPT and generative AI is going to take over chatbots everywhere. So if you decide to use that with a client uh, versus some you or someone on your team as an advisor, uh, just setting expectations that yes, it will feel like you're talking to a human more than it has ever before, but there could be certain errors. I, yeah, I think they'll merge together, but I think the bar uh, will still be higher for an advisor to review anything that's using generative AI. That's awesome. Uh, we could talk about that for days. Uh, well, I, but I want to wrap up and let you get back to kind of building the, the company y'all have, the Sora and, and the amazing impact it's having. Before I let you go and before I get to the final two questions, I, I, I'm just curious, like yeah. looking out the yeah. next two to three years, right? I know it's startup mm -hmm. world and it's hard to kind of predict further mm -hmm. out than that. What, is, what does Sora Finance look like in two years relative and how is mm -hmm. it different than it is today? I, I'm curious of where y'all want to go and, and what that world looks like for you and the team today? You know, I think where, where we want to be is right now we work with about 150 RAs and, and like I think a lot of a lot of fintechs that, that, that target wealth management. Now we're trying to get into how do we get into more enterprise customers? So I think in two years where we want to be is we want to obviously have as much penetration as possible within the, the wealth management and RAA segment. Uh, and I think that's for two reasons. One, the more advisors and clients on the software, the better our software is because it learns more, uh, particularly on what we were just talking about, because now we have real data on the predictive AI. But I think in two years, it's going to be, I see us being still wholly focused on the RIA wealth management segment. I think what I don't know yet is, you know, and we're still going to get better at what we're doing on debt, number of lenders on platform, ability to execute the way we're able to predict and become a core part of the planning process. What is to be determined is I think we want to go deeper with financial advisors. So is there a product of our own we could offer? Some innovative financial product, whether it's a whole balance sheet view line of credit or or is it moving into a different offering? Is it, uh, you know, estate planning or is it a different function? But I think it's going to be more focus on debt, get as many advisors as possible, and then potentially in two years, figure out what's a different an additional offering on top. I love that. I love mm -hmm. that. Well, I'm I'm stoked mm -hmm. to follow the journey, man. Uh, I, I love good. where y'all are going. And before mm -hmm. I let you go, though, I always like to ask my guests two questions that, that you know, one is my thirst for curiosity and learning. And I like to learn from yeah. smart people like yourself. Mm -hmm. And I like to learn through reading. So I'm always sure. curious, what's one of those books that's out there that you think someone should definitely read if they haven't or reread if they already have? 
Yeah. So one book I, I always recommend beyond a TV show, which I always recommend, which is Ted Lasso, which I think is a course in leadership. 100%. 100%. <laughs> well, I'm listening to, I'm listening to uh, Sudeikis on a podcast. He's an incredible uh, person. Unbelievable, right? I just, that show feeds us all. Uh, I'm just so sad it's over. You know, I, <laughs> I, I really like, I don't know if you're, it, it's Jonathan Haidt's book, The Righteous Mind, why, why good people disagree over uh, politics and religion. And, and that really resonated with me, given I think, you know, I grew up in, in the South, in Jacksonville. Now I live in uh, San Francisco. And I have a lot of good friends across the entire political spectrum. And I thought this helped me get to a deeper level of understanding and empathy. And I think it's, uh, you know, what he does and a good job is talks about kind of how reasoning is actually more intuitive than logical for most people. This is all argument, which I found fascinating. And then to how that is shaped by your the kind of the moral foundations that people have that they build, whether it's harm or fairness, but it's, it's a great book. It's a, you know, a bit of a drier book and you got to work right there, but I think it's definitely worth, uh, worth reading. I love that. I think that if we get more people to read it or maybe chat GBT to give us a more fun version of it, that would be, uh, I think that could help us all in this world in, a, in, a, in general. So, you know, we talked about a ton here and a, a lot of great stuff. And, you know, if you had to give the listener one actionable takeaway from our conversation today, what would that be? Yeah. So I, you know, other I than go I'll, get Sora, but other than go get yeah. Sora, of course. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. true. That's number one. Yeah. Yeah. That's number one. You know, I like the, this idea that I always, I have it up in my office is kind of, it's called, it's totally random where it came from, but it's called going through a black door every day as much as you can. And I got this from actually a tennis camp in middle school. The, Cle, the Clemson men's tennis coach talked a lot, Chuck Creasy talked a lot about, winning tennis players get comfortable at being uncomfortable. And so the whole thought is like, win your life wherever. And I think it's being open to trying new things is the, the takeaway. I think whether it's taking a new job that might be out of your comfort zone, it might be speaking up at a certain meeting where you're, you know, maybe not your role or, you know, trying to add something new to your business. But you would call those black doors when you try to do something new because over time you get more comfortable at being uncomfortable and you essentially, I think, uh, learn a lot. But that's, that, that really stuck with me from a young age. I love that. That's awesome. Walk through a black door every day. I think that yeah. that's cool. That is awesome. Well, Rohit, you, you've been, you're the yeah. man, and I uh, really appreciate your time. And I, I'm sure that people, others that are listening, are going to want to continue to sure. follow you and your journey and, and potentially get in touch about uh, Sora. So what's the best way for people to get in touch with you and to get yeah. in touch with Sora? Yeah, absolutely. Well, for free to email me at rohit at sorafinance.com. There's a bunch of links on our website, SoraFinance.com, which will be booked with our team to learn more. Or honestly, just send me a direct message on LinkedIn. Awesome. That's awesome, Rohit. Well, thanks so much, man. And best luck on the journey. We'll be here cheering for you all along the way. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 